You guys know we've been walking through these letters from Paul, and uh, hopefully you're doing the year of the Bible, but if you're not, I've asked you to just kind of join us in these, in these short books, First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, and just read those. And we're camped out in those four books right now, and we're, we're, we're sort of centering everything around this foundational verse from 2 Corinthians 6, 14, and it says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And if you've been here for the last few weeks, you've heard that verse a lot, you're gonna hear it a few more times. And what, that's, what Paul is saying is, Paul is a slave to Christ. The yoke was, was something an ox wore, and, and so it's the way they were driven by their master. And so Paul is a slave to Christ alone. And so he's not yoked together to anything else because he belongs fully and completely to Christ. Christ is his master. He's surrendered to God. And so Paul is not a slave to the lower G, little idols of this world because he belongs to Christ. And so over the next few weeks, and what we've been doing is looking at some of these idols that set themselves up against the glory of God. And uh, in the first week, we talked about money. That's one of the four idols we're dealing with, one of the four things that try to exalt itself over the glory of God. And last week, I can't remember, what we, what did we talk about last week? Anyone remember? Sex. Sex. That's right. Good job. Y'all said it this week, not me. Last week, I felt like I said it 92 times. Sex, 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 sex. So it's y'all's turn. Um, so we talked about money. We talked about sex. We've got two more idols we're going to deal with, and they are family and self. And so today, we are going to deal with one of the most dangerous of all the idols, and it is the idol of family. And let me tell you this, guys. This is the one where I experienced the most personal conviction in writing it. Uh, it's the one where I, I realize that there's a lot of areas where I need to go back to the drawing board, a lot of areas where I need to do better. This was the one uh, with all of them, and there was something in all of them, but this was the one where God stopped me in my tracks and said, repent and come back to me. And so there was a little tension when I wrote this message because there was some tension between me and God. And so there may be a little tension in your heart when you hear this message, and that's okay. If there's a little friction when you hear something, friction is good. My old boss, Simon, told me, cars don't get down the road without friction on the tires. So if there's a little friction in your heart, that's good. It may be God igniting something or, or convicting something. But if you find today's message uh, like insulting or offensive, maybe it's because we just picked a fight with your God. And so I would challenge you to go back and read this stuff for yourself and see if God tells you something different than he tells me. But this is a tough one. And this to me is one where the church looks almost exactly like the world in a lot of ways. And we hear this, this constant message. And by the way, let me just remind you all of this. This is only for those who desire for Christ to be their master. If you don't desire to be a slave to Christ, ignore everything I'm going to say today and just play Tetris or whatever you do when you're here ignoring me. Uh, but this is only for those who want to be disciples, okay? But there's this, this message in the world, in the church and out there, that says family first. Like, have y'all ever heard that? Like, it's not, it's not, there's a whole Christian organization called Focus on the 
family, right? Family, 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 family. It wouldn't offend anybody if I'd stood up here and said, let me tell y'all something, my family, it's, it's guns, America, God, and my family. And that's, that's what I, and it wouldn't have to be in that order. I mean, it's just family, family, family. We've been hit over the head with family first eight million times. We've all said it. As a matter of fact, inside the church, we critique people outside the church if we don't think they're putting their family first. Am I right? I mean, I, I see people who say things like, you know, I just, I wasn't complete until I met my spouse because she is my soulmate. She's, she's, the, she's the completion of my soul. I see things on Facebook where it's a picture of a, of a kid that says, my whole world. And it's my, my everything. I see these things and then it's like, oh, what's this going to be? This is going to be something amazing. And then it's a picture of a kid. I'm like, that's your whole world? Like, you should, you should travel. But... Like this, this is our message to the world. This is my whole world. This is my everything. And if we don't say it to our kids, we show it. We demonstrate that you are my whole world and my entire universe revolves around you because we believe that in order to have a fulfilling life, you must focus on the family above all things. And into that world, into that world, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take captive everything and make it obedient to Christ. According to Paul, at least, and we'll see Jesus in a minute, we aren't supposed to make our family an idol. Instead, we're supposed to make our family slave to Christ. But that's not what seems to happen most of the time. I mean, like for most of us, like there was, there was, might've been a season we were young, you know, we went to youth group or something, or maybe we went to a camp and we got that camp high. And some of you who don't come from church, you're like, what? That sounds fun. No, it's just different. It's a camp high, but it's like, um, we get this little moment and then we're, we're sort of about God and then we get married, Right. And we were about God and God was a priority and then we get married and now marriage is, is our priority. And we spend the first year of our marriage doing exactly what the world tells us to do, just focus on your marriage. In that first year, it's so important that all you do is focus on your marriage. And so we just focus on our marriage and that means we sleep in on Sunday a little bit because it's okay, we're focusing on our marriage. Or we, we skip some church or, or some of you have a, have a, you know, you got a lake house or a boat or something. I can, always tell, I can always tell who's broken boatless because you're here in the summertime. The rest, the rest of you got a lake house and a boat. And so that becomes, and it's okay because we're focusing on our marriage and we're, we're at the lake house, not at church, because we're focusing on our marriage and that's where our party needs to be. And that's good. And we do that for a while, right? I'm not saying focus on your marriage is wrong. It's just, it's where we end up. We travel, we do these things. And then, now, but, but, but while we're focused on our marriage, what are we always saying? When we have a kid, we'll get back in church, right? Because we've realized we don't know who God is, and so we need someone to introduce our kid to God, and so we're going to bring them to church. And so we have a kid, and we bring them to church, and, and then the kid's in church for a little while, at least long enough to get, you know, a little kitty baptism or dedication or whatever we do. And then once the kid's old enough to go to the lake, we're back out. But it's okay because we're focused on our family, 
It's not wrong because we're fo- we only have 18 years with this little thing, this little creature in the house. And so we're going to focus on them fully. And so now we're back again. We're back at the lake with our family because that's where we should focus. Or we bring our kid to church and they don't like it. I don't like church. I don't want to go in the kid's area. And so we don't make them do it because why in the world would we make this little thing do something it didn't want to do? Right? <laughs> this is it. And so they're there. Or your kid, here, here we go. I should just turn around for this one. So. Or our kids become athletes. Yeah, do I? I mean, Sunday was important, but I got to teach little Billy about teamwork. That's, that's the top priority. And, and so I'm going to get him in the, in the game and I'm going to skip church. Even, even though, you know, I'm telling him it's important. I'm telling him God's first, but we're going to spend our Sundays in the tournament because that's where little Billy needs to be because that's so incredibly important, right? And this is what happens when we get a face. None of those things are bad. Listen, I'm, I'm the most competitive dad in here. I love those things. But they begin to just take over our lives and church and God and those things get pushed further and further and further and further down the chain. Or we come to church with our family, we pray a little bit, we sprinkle a little Jesus into our situation, but we never fully give our situation to Jesus. And none of those things sound like God's good and pleasing and perfect plan for family, at least from what I can tell from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 7.29, this is a good one. Paul, this is Paul talking. He says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should act as if they don't. Finally, some good advice. You know what, let's just call it a day. I'll see you all next week. For those who have wives, you should live as if you don't. There you go. Oh, no, there's more. It says... Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they are not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the thing of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So what Paul is, Paul's not saying be a, be a you know, cruddy spouse. But I think what Paul would say is for those who have a family, live like you don't. And what he means by that is God should still be your top priority. Like just because you're married doesn't mean, as a matter of fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, he clarified, he says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation God has assigned to them, just as God has called them. If you have kids, live as a believer and make God the top priority. If you're engaged, live as a believer and make God the top priority. If you're married, live as a believer and make God, you have 17 kids, live as a believer and make God the top priority. Whatever situation you find yourself, live as a believer and make God the top priority. Why? Because none of this is forever. This world in its present form is passing away. And we forget this. I said last week, I, I, I mentioned that in heaven, we won't be married and you won't have husbands and wives in, in heaven. And some of you looked angry at me when I said that. Some of you looked relieved. <laughs> You're like, oh, there is a way out. Right? But I mean, in Matthew and Mark, it says that you're not given to marriage. So, so something's different in heaven. So marriage is not, is not an eternal thing. You will eternally be my brothers and sisters. 
That's eternal. But marriage, the purpose of marriage is to prepare yourselves to meet Jesus Christ. That's why you're married. The purpose of marriage is not to have a good marriage. The purpose is to prepare one another to meet Christ. Same thing with kids. The purpose of parenting is not to raise good little athletes. The purpose of parenting is to honor God, to glorify God, to show your kids grace and love and truth in hopes that they one day fall in love with God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7.32. He said, I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she please her husband? I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. The message of this book from cover to cover is that God wants your undivided devotion. That he wants to be the absolute top thing. When he said, have no other gods before me, he was not joking. He really wants to be your top priority. Undivided devotion to God. The purpose of marriage is not good marriage. The purpose of parenting is not good kids. There are atheists all around the world with great marriages and great kids, and it won't do them one bit of good when they stand in front of Jesus Christ on Judgment Day. The purpose is to honor God, to prepare each other to meet God. Why do we tell our kids they're our whole world if we're not even of this world? Why do we, why do we tell our spouse that you're my everything? Because we've made these things our gods. And we've, we've put them in a position where they can't possibly complete what we've asked them to do. They can't be our everything. They can't be our whole world. Because they were never designed to be those things. And guys, you, you should be a good spouse. You should be the best spouse you could possibly be. You should be a good parent. But, but your sole purpose is not a good marriage and good kids. As I was writing this, I... Um, I became so incredibly convicted, like so convicted in this one. And Christy and I have had a lot of cool talks this week as we're just sort of going through this and trying to figure it out for our family. But I was so convicted because when I was single, like when I, when I first came in, into the ministry, like I was 100% for God. Like I, I walked away from a bunch of stuff, but it was nothing. I didn't risk anything because I really didn't have anything to lose. I mean, I walked away from a job and some money, and but it meant nothing because I was single and there was no one else depending on me. So really, it wasn't hard to walk away from all that stuff. And then we got married. And as we got married, the focus went from, from God, 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 and the church to, to you know, God and marriage and, and family and God and marriage and family. And the focus began to shift. And as Chrissy and I began to discuss our marriage, mainly our discussions centered around what is God going to do for us over the next 10 years, not what can we do for God right now with exactly what we've got. And we begin to focus on us and protecting ourselves. And then we begin to plan to have kids. And so the, the plan began to focus on now, what are we going to do to prepare a place for this kid? Because we had a, had a six-year-old and he was pretty easy. But then we had a little oxygen-sucking, you know, Kinley. Yeah, and takes all, just does what she does. 
And so then family becomes the focus. And now it's, what do we do to protect our family? And now we gotta provide for our family. We gotta make all these decisions to make sure we have retirement, make sure that our kids have college. And, and now all of our decisions are going through this filter of what is this going to do to our family? And family first is the first filter anything is going through. So we talked about that. You know, God might call us to do this, but oh, what's that going to do to our family? Or God might cause us to sacrifice one of our jobs or leave our income, or what's that going to do to our family? And so as we've been having these conversations this week and, and asking God, what is it you want us to do? There's been some fear. Luke 14, 25 says this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. They'll say, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one with 20,000? If he's not able, he sends a delegation while he's a long way off and asks for peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. And so as we're having this conversation, I'm reading this verse and my thought is, what if he was serious? Like what if God really, really means this? And the reason Jesus, so Jesus had drawn this big crowd and every time Jesus draws a big crowd, he turns to him and he says something shocking. And to tell a Jewish crowd that you must hate your family. And by the way, he doesn't mean hate as in despise. Uh, you know, hate can be used like, I hate kale. That's different than hating a human being or something, right? He, he says it's about allegiance and loyalty. But when Jesus has this conversation with a Jewish crowd of which family is everything, family is their monetary means of success, family is their identity, family is their, their legacy, family is everything to them. And Jesus steps into this room and goes after the most sacred cow in the place, family. And you know why he does that? Because he's sifting. There's a big crowd and he's trying to say, all right, who wants to just be in the crowd and who wants to be my disciple? Who wants to be my disciple? And he turns and gives a teaching that says, if you don't put me above everything else, then you cannot be my disciple. You can still be in the crowd, but you can't be my disciple. You got to be willing to put me above everything else. The message of the Bible is not focus on your family. It's focus your family on Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not family first. It's focus your family on a mission to go and save the world. And so Christy and I are talking through some tough questions. Why are we married? What are we preparing each other for? What are we doing with our marriage? Why do we have kids what are we doing with our kids? What are we preparing them for? And as we talk through these things and, and we begin to sort of share, here's something God's called. Remember the first phone call you got last week? It was a bit extreme, probably. It was, a, it was extreme first idea. But I called her last week and I'm like, what if God is calling you to just quit? By the way, my wife makes twice as much as me. It is what it is. Get your own sugar mom. So... <laughs> 
I call her and I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, what if God is calling you to quit your job and we just foster kids? And she was like, uh, is this Tommy? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> but I mean, we don't know. But as, as, we're, as we're going through these things, and as we're praying these prayers together, the first thoughts that come to our mind is we can't afford this. I mean, let's just be honest. That's the first thing is financially what you're asking me to do makes no sense. And if we do this, you know, our kids might miss out on some things or we're going to look different in the world or maybe people will even ridicule us. That's the first thing. And the second is every time I get one reason to step forward and give God everything, I get two reasons from the world that tell me I'm a fool. Listen to the second part of that verse again. It starts in verse 28. Suppose you want to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost, see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone will ridicule you. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who's coming against him with 20,000? Don't you think Jesus knew what our objections would be? Every time we try to take that step, you feel the pressure of the world saying, You are a fool. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. To honor the Sabbath above all things, to really keep Sunday as a sacred day where your family's in church and make that a top priority, that, that makes no sense. To, to really be willing to, to put everything on the altar, all your income and all your and everything, that makes no sense. Are you crazy? And for every good yes, there's two, and it's a constant battle. But on the other side of that, for those who will count the cost, and then they will step forward, there is greatness, there is glory, there is meaning, there is significance, and there is life exactly as it was meant to be. There is something amazing for those who will take the next step and move. Because what happens in those moments, you begin to count the cost, and you say, God, I cannot do this. God, I, I, I can give a little more. Uh, can I buy my way out of this? And God's like, you can't afford me. Well, God, can I read the Bible a little more? No. I want your family. I want everything on the altar. And when God says that, my response is, I can't do that. Not my family. And when I say that, Christ, in his infinite grace and love and wisdom, looks at me and says, I know you can't, but I can I can. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? I know you can't possibly do what I'm asking you to do because you don't have the faith and you don't have the wisdom and you don't have the strength and you don't have the courage. But will you trust me? Will you trust me with your marriage? Will you trust me with your kids? Will you trust me with everything? Because the truth is, God loves my wife and my kids far more than I ever will. And God loves me far more than I can ever imagine. And so God has this plan for me that's far greater than anything I can ever get on my own, but I don't fully trust him. And so the first thing we do is we begin to pray, God, change my heart. But we can't stay in that prayer forever. There comes a time when you must get up from the prayer and actually begin to trust God with something. Some of us have been in a perpetual prayer our entire Christian lives. We're just praying, God, show me, God, show me, God, show me. And God's like, ah, here's the Bible. Read it. 
It's in here. He's like, I've been showing you for several thousand years now. Like, I don't need a sign from God telling me that we could do more with our marriage. I don't need a sign from God telling me I could inconvenience my kids a little more for the sake of the gospel. I've got a book full of information on that. If I'm not supposed to do that, give me a sign. Chrissy's going, give him a sign, give him a sign. (laughs) She's in. She's crazy like me. One day I will stand in front of God on judgment day. So will you. And God will look at me and he will say, I gave you a marriage. What did you do with it? And the only response that he wants to hear is, I prepared my bride to meet you. And if I can say that, then God will look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I will stand in front of God and he will say, I gave you kids. What did you do? And the response he wants to hear is, I did everything in my power to prepare them to meet you. And his response will be, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is who we are. This is our call. This is what we do. And if you need to repent, repent. If, if, you, if you drop the ball in this area, me too. But there is more. And we want more from, from our marriage. We want more from our family. And the only way to do that is not to ask God to sprinkle himself in our marriage. It is to take our marriage and our family and give it completely to God and say, here we are. Now, what do you want to do with this? We will go wherever you call us to go. We will do whatever you call us to do. We'll, whatever. And for those who will do that, what you will experience is extraordinary. And let me tell you this. I say this knowing full well I am talking and only a few will hear. Only a few will hear. The crowd will always be large and those who take the step will historically be small. But choose this day who you will serve. Guys, you want adventure? You want a challenge? Quit focusing on your family and focus your family on a mission of saving souls for Jesus Christ. Can you imagine anything more? And deep inside of every single one of you in this room, you long for exactly what I'm talking about. You long for the significance of surrendering everything to the glory of God. It is what you want so bad, and we are all so scared to go grab what's rightfully ours. Choose this day who you will serve. There can be only one. Your God cannot be your family. But glory awaits those who will surrender their family to their God. Amen.